Well, good morning, Redeemer friends and anyone who's a visitor or a guest this morning. We're so glad you're here. And it's a little after the fact, but Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, you look well rested. Glad to see you. Today we're going to begin, begin a new series called Loved. And I want to set the stage for both today and then three subsequent Sundays about this essential characteristic of the living God, the capacity of God to love us and all people. The living God is more kind, more loving, more caring than we could possibly imagine. Though today, I want us to try to get our arms around the text from Luke chapter 8, which is a, is a sort of a moment-by-moment -moment description of a day in the life in Jesus when Jesus has done some phenomenal things to, to love other people because he put love into action on behalf of so many. And yet there are people around us, there may be some of you, who wonder, could God actually find me lovable? Could God, knowing all about me and all that I've done, could God actually find me lovable? The answer is yes. In the first letter of John, chapter 4, John 4, 16, the writer John puts this in the plainest language possible. Three simple words, God is love. Love is the very nature of the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love is the very nature of His being. It's the very nature of who He is. Love is God. God is love. There's a whole bunch of other descriptors you could use to describe God. You could talk about Him being all-knowing and all-seeing. But, but more than any of those other descriptions of God, God is love. If he weren't loving, which is an unthinkable thought, we wouldn't be here to offer our worship and our praise and our thanks to him this morning. If he weren't loving, we would be stuck in the presence of a life where we're simply intimidated, frightened souls hoping that he would just withhold his wrath for another day. John's right. God is love. And so we want to talk in this series about how the loving nature of God moves into us. It changes our perspective. It gives us hope. It encourages us because this is the very nature and character of God. Consider Jesus, God's only begotten Son, whose birth we have just celebrated. I want to look at the work of Jesus from Luke chapter 8 today. So you have Bibles underneath your chairs. Some of you may have brought them or they're on your phone. Look at Luke chapter 8. I'm going to tell a couple of the pieces of that in the beginning, and then I'll read a good piece of the text in a moment. But I want you to get the general flavor that Luke is trying to give us in Luke chapter 8, really throughout his whole gospel. And the flavor he wants to get us, give us, is that whenever Jesus encountered people, what came from Jesus was this amazing capacity for love. When Jesus saw masses of people abandoned by the religious and legal authorities of their day, he was literally seized by his sense of compassion toward hurting people. 
That was his instinctive reaction. He was seized by a sense of love for hurting people and compassion for those same people. When the misery of the masses washed up to him, and it happened over and over and over again, he could be literally to the point of exhaustion because of the needs of the people around him. Wherever it was, on the land or when they came upon the sea and they came on the shore and saw the masses of people, every time he encountered those people, he's thinking the words he once said, come to me all you who are weary and heavily burdened and I will give you rest. There are probably hundreds of ways to try to explain the love of Jesus. You know, I find though just day-to-day -day life and memory of my own family growing up or especially watching Laurie, my wife, and our four kids, or when I look in the hallways of the church, the most profound evidence of love that I see, the most concrete profound evidence is in the lives of our young mothers who have a child with them, a little one, or maybe they have multiple little ones with them. They're the ones that look especially tired. And they're lavishing love and care past the point of their fatigue, past the point of their exhaustion. They are loving their children. They are showing love to their children. They're telling them you can't have a third donut, but they're still loving their children. And they're having to tell their husband you can't have the third donut, but that's a separate, that's a separate problem. What you see, what you see in the love of a mother for her child, though, is not just acts of love, it's the giving of her very self for her children. That's what a mother does. In fact, it's sort of woven into a mother's heart. And it's not, it's not that it's not there for, for husbands and fathers, but it's woven into a mother's heart to love her children. Even when they're older, even as they grow old, the mother's love for a child is something remarkable to behold. Not just because they do loving things for them, and pour themselves out. It's because they give of their whole self to that being, that child whom they care for. Jesus, Jesus was that way. He gave all he had. He gave it in even a grander way. Jesus, to put it this way, Jesus could not not love. Now, spell check tried to stop me on that one. <laughs> but I'm gonna go with a double negative because I think it explains it. Jesus could not not love. Jesus, his whole being was wrapped in this notion of love. If at one point in Jesus' ministry, if you look at any point in Jesus' life and ministry, I think you'll see this nature of Jesus emerges with each individual encounter, even even if he had a concern about, say, a religious authority, or even when he was trying to cleanse the temple, Jesus was always engaged in an act of love for a good purpose. We pick up the story of Luke chapter 8 at the beginning, and then again, I'll read more in a moment. We pick up the story after Jesus has calmed the waters of the Sea of Galilee. He and the disciples are in a boat, 
the winds have come up upon the Sea of Galilee as they sometimes do, and it's really quite stormy. It's a deep lake, so the storm waters are pretty intense. And Jesus, being perfectly all right with all manner of things and perfectly confident of the love of his Father, is asleep in the boat and very relaxed, while the meanwhile the disciples are thinking, it's, this is the end, and Jesus is sitting there sleeping. We've got to wake him up. Maybe he can do something about the storm. And so they wake up Jesus, who was soundly asleep, and he calms the storm and says, everything's going to be all right. They land on a shore. They land into an area populated by a group of people called the Gerizines, who were not popular people in their time. They were people who were despised by many of the people who were sort of the quote-unquote better people of the time. And he has an encounter with a man, with a particular man, whom they called the Gerizine Demoniac. How would you like to have that name? Who are you? I'm the Gerizine Demoniac. Who'd want to be with that guy? The Gerizim demoniac was a man who was in really bad shape. He was possessed of demons. The only treatment of the time for someone who was suffering from that kind of malady was to lock him in chains. And so this man comes up to Jesus. He's naked. He's disturbed. He's demon-possessed. His wrists, his ankles are scarred from all the years of being in chains. He's essentially a wild man, and he comes to Jesus. And he says to him, when he, when he sees Jesus, he cries out <clears throat> as he falls at Jesus' feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. What a statement. You imagine someone coming up to another person saying, whatever you do, just don't torture me. This is a person who has been deprived of love. He's been deprived of care. He's been deprived of human relationships. He's been mistreated. And he comes to Jesus and says, I beg you, don't torture me. This is a man in a miserable state, desperately in need of love. But Jesus has already solved this problem. He'd already figured out the solution, and in fact, it had already been started to be implemented. He commanded the evil demons to leave the man and to go into a herd of pigs. The pigs then ran down the hillside and drowned themselves in the lake. It's an amazing story. <clears throat> I guess it's not good if you happen to just love pigs, but nevertheless, that's the, that's the solution. He sent the demons elsewhere. And then they were finished. It's not every day you hear of something like that. But then again, Jesus had very few normal days. The text then tells us that the man was soon dressed and in his right mind. I love that text. He was dressed and in his right mind. You see, the absence of love is scarring to any person. Love makes people whole. The absence of love makes people sad and hurting and depressed. Love makes people whole. So let's look at the text together, the rest of, of chapter 8, beginning at verse 40 through verse 56 of Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. 
for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. We'll see that that's unusual, that a synagogue leader would fall at Jesus' feet. But he falls at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house to, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. No one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Someone has touched me. The power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, notice how he refers to her daughter, a loved one. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, Someone came from the house of Jairus, the man's house whom he was intentionally trying to get to, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's over. <clears throat> Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead. She's just asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once he stood up. And then Luke adds this wonderful detail. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Children are always hungry. Give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So the location has changed. Jesus is now being welcomed by a big crowd. When a man named Jairus a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet. There's something very bizarre about that. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, falling at the feet of the one whom the religious leaders were already very suspicious of. <clears throat> but he was desperate. He was desperate. His daughter was dying. What father wouldn't be willing to be humbled if he thought he could save his daughter's life? But as Jesus goes on the way to find Jairus' daughter at Jairus' house, as he's walking through this crush of admirers, this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years pushes her way in gently and then just touches the hem of his garment. That's all that was needed. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She was doubtless anemic. She was by definition ceremonially unclean. No one would have anything to do with her. And she cut, touches the hem of his garment, and she is healed. This woman who was perpetually, ceremonially unclean is now whole. And when Jesus said, who touched me? Who drew power from me? 
The woman tried to go unnoticed, but trembling, she too fell at Jesus' feet. Daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Meanwhile, since Jesus was delayed in getting to Jairus' house, his daughter, Jairus' daughter, had died. Someone announced it. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. This is over. It's bad timing, but such is life. We'll just have to move on. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. And then he arrived at Jairus' house amidst all the wailing. And by the way, the wailing wasn't just people who were earnestly grieving the loss of this young girl. In those days, there were professional wailers, and they would come and they would wail at the death of someone and get a little tip for adding to the moment. So they were there really for a job. And Jesus says, stop your wailing. You don't know the end of the story. Stop wailing. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And everybody laughed. Everybody laughed. But then Jesus took her by the hand and said, get up. She did. And she was whole. He saved her. He fed her. That's what love does. Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus. That's all right. We're really glad you're here. Jesus can handle your unbelief. That's no problem. The only thing he doesn't want is your indifference because he's not indifferent about you. You are deeply, deeply loved. And that's a promise from Jesus. And maybe you're a Christian, but you haven't come to terms with his kindness yet. You, you still assume that God is mad at you for something you did long ago or something you did yesterday. Maybe you're just assuming God is just keeping a list and he's mad at you and he's not gonna change his mind about it. I'm sorry, you've got the wrong God. I once had a conversation with a guy who told me that he didn't believe in God and I just said, I learned this from someone else. I just said, tell me what kind of a God you don't believe in. And he told me, and I said, after he told me about this vengeful, wrathful, angry God, I said, well, you know what? We're in agreement. I don't agree with, I don't believe in that God either. You got the wrong God. I think if you, if you, if you really understood, if we really understood who Jesus is, then we'd know that Jesus wouldn't come, if Jesus were physically to come into this room, if he were to physically to come in this place, he wouldn't be looking for the person who had checked all the right religious boxes and had done everything just right, offer his hand and say, congratulations, you've done it just the right way. No, he would go to the lost person. He would go to the depressed person. He would go to the person like water running downhill. He would go to the person at the lowest place because that's the nature and character of Jesus. I know one more thing, that if Jesus came, if he were physically present here, we would do like all of these others in this story. We would fall on our knees and worship. This morning in a time of the Lord's Supper together, we're going to do this a little bit differently today. We're going to have you come at your own pace.
And we're going to sing while we're sharing in these elements of the Lord's Supper. So we'll, we'll share in the Lord's Supper together. We'll sing. And um, we just want you to come to the, these kneeling rails or come to receive communion at the time of your choosing. We remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples as an act of love and said, do this in remembering me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. Drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me. As the communion stewards come forward, I just want to direct you to a couple of things. One would be that in your bulletin that you received, there's a devotional piece in there. Feel free to just take your time and read that. Or go back to Luke chapter 8 and ponder the text. Picture yourself in that story. Picture yourself as one who is encountering Jesus and experiencing his love. And as the table is ready, as we prepare for this, just come. Come when you're ready. As our team leads us in singing, just, just come when you're ready. Take your time and enjoy the loving presence of the living God. Amen.